You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Senator Wyden calls out the NSA for purchasing Americans' internet records. Senators look to add IT and ICS environments to federal employees' cyber competitions. The FTC asks big tech about their investments in AI. Turns out the GSA bought a bunch of Chinese security cameras. Akira Ransomware claims a breach of Lush Cosmetics. ESET reports on the Blackwood Cyber Espionage Group. Wired looks at Predatory Sparrow. The U.S. stands firm on the United Nations Cybercrime Treaty. Our guest is Tony Surak from Data Tribe with insights on the state of venture capital in cyber. And a TrickBot gang member will be doing some time. It's Friday, January 26th, 2024. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us. It is great to have you here. U.S. Senator Ron Wyden has confirmed that the NSA is purchasing Americans' internet records, highlighting what he says is a significant privacy issue. Wyden criticized the intelligence community for legitimizing a data broker industry that operates in violation of Americans' privacy rights. These records can expose personal details like mental health or medical facility visits. This practice, he argues, not only breaches privacy ethics but may also be illegal, following a recent Federal Trade Commission ruling requiring informed consent for data sales. Highlighting a legal gray area, Wyden notes that data brokers and intelligence agencies have been covertly trading personal data. He criticizes app developers and advertisers for not disclosing their data-sharing practices or seeking user consent. Responding to these concerns, Wyden urges the Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines, to direct intelligence agencies to stop buying illegally obtained personal data. He also calls for compliance with the FTC's recent guidelines, which state that Americans must consent to their data being sold for national security purposes. Wyden proposes three actions for intelligence agencies. Conduct an inventory of purchased personal data, verify data sources against FTC standards, and purge data not meeting these standards reporting any retained data to Congress and the public. This aligns with the DNI's Senior Advisory Group's 2022 recommendations on managing commercially available information. The U.S. Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee 
led by Senators Gary Peters and Mike Braun, introduced a bipartisan bill to enhance federal cybersecurity training. This legislation aims to expand the President's Cup cybersecurity competition to include skills in operational technology and industrial control systems, vital for protecting critical infrastructure. Organized by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, this national competition seeks to develop top cybersecurity talent in the federal workforce. The move responds to growing cybersecurity threats, particularly against crucial systems like those in the water utility sector. The initiative reflects a broader strategy to strengthen national cybersecurity defenses. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission has initiated an inquiry into the significant investments made by major tech companies in leading AI firms. The FTC's orders target Microsoft, Google, Amazon, OpenAI, and Anthropic, spurred by concerns that these investments may reinforce the dominance of these tech giants in the Internet economy. Microsoft's substantial investment in OpenAI, known for ChatGPT, and its use of Microsoft's cloud computing, along with Amazon and Google's deals with Anthropic, a company focused on responsible AI, are under scrutiny. FTC Chair Lena M. Khan emphasized the need to ensure healthy competition and innovation in AI, avoiding tactics that could distort these objectives. The inquiry, authorized under Section 6B of the FTC Act, seeks to understand the strategic rationale, competitive impact, and market dynamics of these investments and partnerships. The General Services Administration was reported to have procured 150 Chinese-made cameras after receiving misleading information, according to an Inspector General report. This procurement, which contravenes a statute limiting federal agencies from buying Chinese products, highlights the challenges in keeping unauthorized foreign technologies out of U.S. federal systems, the complexity of global supply chains and the difficulty in vetting every component for security risks contribute to this issue. The inspector general recommended the GSA to dispose of these cameras and improve its procurement processes to prioritize secure and authorized technologies. The GSA has agreed with these recommendations, though it's unclear how many non-compliant cameras are still in use. The Akira ransomware gang has claimed responsibility for a cybersecurity breach at British cosmetics company Lush, allegedly stealing 110 gigabytes of data, including personal documents like passport scans and company information related to accounting, finances, and clients. There's no evidence of customer data exposure. Akira, known for its extortion tactics, has threatened to publish the stolen data, the group, which emerged in early 2023, is notorious for targeting organizations across the UK, Australia, and North America, and is linked to the defunct Conti ransomware operation. Lush acknowledged the incident, working with forensic experts and taking immediate security measures. Akira's tactics often involve exploiting vulnerabilities in remote access tools, underscoring the importance of timely patching and multi-factor authentication. The cyber espionage group Blackwood, active since at least 2018, has been covertly targeting organizations and individuals in China and Japan. According to cybersecurity firm ESET, Blackwood uses adversary-in-the-middle attacks to deploy the sophisticated NSPX30 implant through updates of legitimate software like Sogao Pinyin, Tencent QQ, 
and WPS office. The implant, which includes a back door and other malicious components, is adept at concealing its command and control operations. Blackwood's targets include individuals linked to a British research university and various businesses in China and Japan. ESET's findings suggest that Blackwood has a sophisticated operational capability, including the ability to deploy backdoors remotely and exfiltrate data effectively. Wired takes a closer look at the predatory Sparrow hacker group that's been targeting Iran with disruptive cyber attacks for years, focusing on civilian infrastructure. One of their most notable attacks was on the Khuzestan steel mill in Iran. Despite predatory Sparrow's claim of caution, the attack endangered workers, causing a spill of molten steel and fire. Predatory Sparrow has also disrupted Iran's railway system and gas station payment systems, causing widespread inconvenience. Their tactics suggest high technical proficiency, possibly indicating government or military backing. Analysts believe Predatory Sparrow aims to demonstrate a capability to disrupt Iranian society in response to Iran's aggression. The group's actions, including sophisticated malware deployment and strategic targeting, highlight its role in the ongoing geopolitical tensions between Iran and its adversaries. As final negotiations wrap up, the U.S. is pushing for a narrower United Nations cybercrime treaty, focusing on cyber-dependent crimes rather than a broader range of tech-enabled offenses, differing from Russia and China's preference for a wider scope. The U.S. emphasizes human rights protections and collaboration in law enforcement, countering concerns that the current draft could criminalize cybersecurity research and impact data privacy. Critics, including tech firms and human rights groups, call for significant revisions to align the treaty with human rights standards. The U.S., part of the Budapest Convention, seeks a treaty focused on serious cybercrimes and maintains that existing draft provisions adequately cover cybersecurity research. The U.S. aims to prevent the misuse of the treaty for controlling information and insists on safeguarding human rights in the final agreement. Coming up after the break, Tony Sarak from Data Tribe has insights on the state of venture capital in cyber. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. everybody want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor splunk you know you need to keep operations humming around the clock but potential disruptions are everywhere splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime the world's largest enterprises rely on splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient resilient and innovative with Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. Longtime CyberWire listeners know that we are funded in part by an investment from Data Tribe an organization that bills itself as a global cyber foundry based in Fulton, Maryland, that invests in and co-builds cybersecurity and data science companies. So, last week, when we had a story cross our desks about how 2023 had been a down year for cybersecurity investment, I reached out to Tony Serac, Chief Marketing Officer and Operating Partner at Data Tribe, for his insights. Well, I see a continuation of... Uh the uh, great extinction that was going on over the last 18 months where companies that weren't getting the traction, that were not controlling their spend, were having a impossible time raising additional funds. And so you would see these companies, uh, most would go away. Some will be exited through aqua hires, and uh, the ones that are able to survive and get through this will be the winners later on. But the question is, how long does that continue? To what degree is that the result of the running out of what I've seen described as free money? You know, when we had interest rates as low as they were, uh, it seems to me it was a lot easier for folks to raise funds. How does that play into this? Yes, that's 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 a big part of it. It's... Um, just like the big controller to the public markets, it's either the Fed is accommodative or they're restrictive at kind of a high, you know, kind of gross level. Mm. Uh, and that trickles down into uh, venture and, and PE and other areas. You know, for such a long time, there was easy to obtain money. Individuals had money because stocks, uh, companies were exiting and they were getting money. So people felt flush with cash. And they uh, all wanted to participate. They either became angels, they invested as LPs in funds, uh, the ones they can get into. As long as companies are exiting or seeing bump ups in multiples, you'd have this kind of frenzy. And then when the music stops, uh, you know, like musical chairs, I don't know if people know what musical <laughs> chairs is anymore, but uh, the music stops and there's not enough chairs for the companies. Uh, that unless they had a good model, uh, they're going to fall to the ground. So the cycle continues. Where do we stand now? I mean, what, what's your outlook for 24 as we look ahead? 
Well, I see, uh, I see this continuation of the same until it stops. But I will say that there is money available for good founders uh, with new ideas, uh, looking to raise money at the seed round. There's money available for bigger companies that are got their uh, product market fit and their cost structures in place. I mean, January's already seen several uh, VC deals that are $100 million plus size checks and rounds. So those, those are happening. But for companies that may have raised money at previously higher valuations and they weren't there on their metrics, they're going to have a hard time. And, you know, they'll slowly run out of cash or if they haven't made the hard cuts, they're going to have to do it soon. How has this affected you and your colleagues here at Data Tribe in terms of, you know, the the, the forecasting you're doing, the, the companies that you're trying to uh, to invest in to show interest in? Yes. Uh, so for those folks who don't know, Data Tribe is a uh, early stage seed equity investor. Uh, we have a very hands on uh, model where we um, co build the companies. We focus on cyber and data science. And there's no shortage of ideas and opportunities there. Uh, So we continue to see a pretty healthy deal flow of new company founders coming in. If anything, the six years I've been here, every year the teams and the founders get stronger. And um, there's, there's just really good, solid founder market fit. So there's no shortage of ideas there. For companies that, you know, may have received their seed rounds, one, two, three years ago, you know, the ones that don't really get the product market fit right are going to struggle with raising an A round. But they, if they have a good idea and are close and just need more time, there is opportunities to raise um, either smaller second seed rounds or some other type of debt financing to give them the extra runway to hopefully hit the metrics that allows them to raise a more traditional A round size uh, company. I want to get your advice coming from two different directions here for for both uh, the hopeful startup, the person who you know is uh, sitting in that proverbial garage and thinks that they have a great idea, but then also from the investor, you know, looking at where we stand and where we're headed, what's your advice for folks coming at this from both of those directions? Uh, it's getting back to an area where it's the right time to be both a starter, startup founder and investor. There's data to show, and I, and I give a shout out to uh, uh, the folks over at Bowen Associates who sent some recent data around that uh, the tech IPO cycle has been consistently a seven-year cycle from the beginning of time. If that's truly the case, uh, we should be at peak IPO for technology companies in roughly the 27 timeframe, 2027. Hmm. Uh, so, It is a perfect time to be starting a company at the seed uh, or raise money or invest in companies at the seed A and and even B rounds because then you'll be growing with the right metrics so that you hit this window and opportunity for for exits through the IPO window and, uh, and better times. So if anything, it was a bad time. 18 months ago, uh, we, we turned down a lot of deals where founders come in with expectations of $20, $30 million pre-valuations and they have a slide deck and uh, 
no product. Um, and for the investors who were disciplined and didn't jump in on that, they did okay. Uh, the ones who weren't, they're the ones hurting now. So I've been doing this, unfortunately, for 30, 40 years. I've seen a few <laughs> cycles. Um, it's it's getting back to the time where the fields have been burned, the nutrients are back in the soil. For those planting the seeds in there now, you should see some really good, uh, good times in the future. It sounds to me like you are optimistic. I, I, I hear a lot of pessimism out there, but that doesn't seem to be your attitude. Yeah, the pessimism is the people who have raised $25 million, had a $100 million post valuation, and they have $1 million ARR. Those people are very sad and scared and are having a hard time. But uh, we just closed our, our latest investment uh, in December, of, you know, less than a month ago, hmm. and continue to see really good companies. So it's the right time, right? It's like, uh, do you buy Miami Beach property now when it's crazy, or did you buy it uh, uh, six, seven years ago when it was less crazy? So, Right. It's like that old joke that the best time to buy a beachfront house was 50 years ago. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, there, yeah. <laughs> That's Tony Serac, Chief Marketing Officer and Operating Partner at Datatron. With over 8,000 thread hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus-year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. And finally, Vladimir Duneyev, a former developer for the TrickBot cybercrime gang, was sentenced to five years and four months in a U.S. prison for his involvement in deploying ransomware and malware, which caused significant financial damage to American hospitals and businesses. Duneyev pleaded guilty to charges of conspiracy to commit computer and wire fraud. He played a key role in TrickBot's operations from June 2016 through 2021, including developing browser modifications to steal credentials, managing servers, encrypting malware, and laundering stolen funds. The TrickBot gang is responsible for extorting at least $180 million globally, using the TrickBot malware initially as a banking trojan before evolving it into a versatile malware-as-a-service platform. The dismantling of TrickBot in 2022 marked the end of its operations, although many of its developers have since engaged in other criminal activities. The U.S. and U.K. have sanctioned several individuals associated with TrickBot and related ransomware. Duneyev was extradited from South Korea. To quote the register's coverage of his initial arrest, redactions in Duneyev's indictment document black out the names of other defendants, suggesting more of the TrickBot gang has been identified. 
Among those mentioned but not named is one gang member whose job title was Malware Manager. Just imagine having that on your business card. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. You know, one of the many ways we track how our daily news brief is doing is by checking in on Apple's podcast ranking charts. We've always had the good fortune of being highly ranked, thanks to all of you listening and sharing with your friends. Most recently, in the tech news category, we've been sitting in the number two position, right behind the Wall Street Journal. It's great to even be in the top ten, let alone number two. But man, it sure would be great to be number one. So please, help us out. Keep on downloading those episodes, sharing on social media, and recommending The Cyberwire to your friends and colleagues. We can do this together. And thanks. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Jaron Bradley from Jamf Threat Labs. We're discussing their work. Jamf Threat Labs discovers new malware embedded in pirated applications. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Fittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber.